Starting up with Virtue Zone on Dubai Eye 103.8. Yeah, good to have you with us. Starting up, we do this each and every Thursday, one through till two. Uh, and we do it, of course, thanks to our friends at Virtue Zone. Neil Petch is alongside me, as is each and every Thursday, as we uh, battle some of the hurdles that uh, startups and businesses are facing out there. How's the week been, Mr P? Listen, I'm a proud man. Why? Alina Gilmanova. She was the second company that ever set up at Virtue Zone no. back about a billion years ago, which is amazing because she looks 22 years old. <laughs> and we're going to hear all about her success. Aren't we just? Yeah. Who was number one? Number, number one was Charlotte Oliver of Charlotte Oliver Models Management Limited. She has a number plate now, CEO1, because her (laughs) middle name was Elizabeth. I'd like to think that we made her that money. Quite right, too, as well, and show you should. Uh, Right, um, let's get to our first guest who is waiting patiently for us. Uh, Living proof that you can be many things and excel at all of them. She's the founder and the partner of DXP Production uh, since 2009, producing more than a 1,000 events to date, which were attended by as many as 50,000 people. She's also the founder and the CEO of the Innovative Educational Centre, AIST, and a bilingual kindergarten called AIST Royal ECC. Author, public figure, philanthropist, mother of three. Am I missing anything, Neil? Perfect wife. <laughs> Thank to, you. to one of my best friends, by the way. Well, welcome to Alina so Gilmanova. There's nepotism happening all over this show today. <laughs> Alina, great to have you with us here. Yes, hello everyone. Thanks, thanks. It's very uh, pleasant for me to hear all of these nice words. Well, no, they are well deserved for all the hard work that you put in uh, down the years here in the UAE. Let's, where do you start? Let's start at the top. Let's go to DXP. Um, tell us about D- DXP production. It's, uh, it, it, it ha- why you set it up, the sort of delivery you've had over the years, and upcoming projects that you're working on at the moment. The project's got tougher the longer it's gone on? Well, to be honest, when we started DXP production, uh, it's been really, really popular on the market. It was a crisis time uh, from 2008. We developed DXP and by the age of, uh, by year 2012-13, it was the best years when we could actually make millions. That was the best time. And uh, yes, uh, of course, uh, the market is up and down. And before we used to do a lot of events for a huge malls. That's why we start creating our own festivals. It's more like for 100,000 people. So it, it's like full marketing approach. So we create uh, what are we going to do at the mall? What do we need to do for their brand? How to uh, create a footfall to bring actually those people? And that's the reason why we came up with our own festival, like Matroshka Festival. It was the festival which gathered up to 100,000 people during a month. Mm-hmm. So we literally came up with idea. We were very closely with the mall. So it, were, it went very successfully. Successful. Indeed, we used to do, remember, like uh, Nilski, like DXP Privé event, our own events. She with helicoptered the charity. a grand piano onto yeah. the top of a building on the palm. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, up yeah. On that one is Albino tigers being sourced. Vi- yeah, yeah. Helicopter, all of this idea, anything very crazy. If you want pigs at your birthday, this is all possible. So whatever we've done, and some stories are actually um, super interesting because some of the clients could ask something which you think it's impossible. Like we had a plain desert. And in three days, we literally build up the entire event, like with the houses, with the uh, tents, with everything, just in three days, with electrician and uh, so on. 
And guess what? For how many people? So we had 250 people working for this project just for 20 people. No. It was the birthday party. And it's yeah, Dubai. Anything's possible. It's just like in Dubai, everything is possible. Right now, of course, what are the popular projects and events? Obviously, a lot of people came into Dubai. I can see that this business become, became very competitive, let's say. So what we are focusing on, more on networking events. And we want to build up more and more of our events, which we are super experienced, where we can share already our experience with others who just arrive. So this is more of a point of interest. Like now, I am part of a government educational forum, which I was insisting to actually arrange in Dubai. They're supposed to do it in Istanbul. At the end, I shift uh, them to Dubai. I said, no, it's more successful hub and it's for the entire GCC. So we do those kind of events, which create also interest. And, uh, you know, what I believe nowadays, it's not only, of course, when you do birthday, it's for fun and to create emotions. Uh, but when you're doing it for this uh, time, I think all the events should be a little bit educated, a little bit with experience. So you actually come up from the event with either networking or something. You came, you can, you need to come out with some insights. Yo, you got something interesting from it. You want to do it. You want to implement. So I think this is the new generation for events right now. That's my personal opinion. And that's how it should uh, a topic dear to my heart, Alina, education. So you have a mainly Russian-speaking school, but a multilingual school. And my goodness me, the cars that drop off their kids at this uh, school, Tom, <laughs> I've got to tell you. But, you know, so there's obviously, you know, everyone listening are thinking of starting a business up or are running a starting business. And it's nice to talk uh, about some of the good things. So there's been a wave of Russian-speaking investment into yeah. Dubai recently. How how has your business adapted to that? What do you see as the opportunities, but also perhaps the negatives, the pitfalls? I can show you, uh, yeah, I can actually speak about both sides, uh, which I faced from last year. And uh, being pregnant woman and now just delivered with the baby, I faced and difficulties and good sides. So on a good side, yes, indeed, you will have much more clients, uh, for sure. Like uh, the last year when uh, we actually had to expand in just two weeks, I've never ever expand any businesses just in two weeks because we all understand it, the system should be ready for that. Then, thanks God, it was a summer. We adopt. But this summer, I am doing full uh, restructuring of my both schools as a businesses as, uh, in terms of renovation, in terms of all what I've studied in narrow pedagogical part and uh, in terms of new clients, which we have to adapt. So the actual system we are changing. We are becoming more stricter, more tougher. So even the one people we want to appoint to our school or nursery, they have to go through the entire procedure to actually come in. Why? We have a lot of people and we want to, uh, let's say, choose the best, like uh, yeah, kind of face a, control, point, I would say Lena. so. This is one of the good and at the same yeah. bad side because we would like to see people who appreciate what we are doing and who appreciate our education, our bilingual approach because a lot of people who arrive to Dubai not only from Russian market in general they are trying to bring their culture tradition or what they get used in terms of business back home but Dubai is different, we all understand we need to adapt so we are trying that's why to do certain phase control for the people who really are happy with Dubai, who kind of like Dubai, they move to Dubai not because of certain reason, but they actually need to fall in love with this uh, country and Dubai in general uh, to live a happy life here. Mm. Yeah, I mean, what I would, uh, I just came from an event, Halal El Mari was talking about the 2033 project. 
That's what's going to happen, Tom. You know, how old are you going to be in 10 years, Tom? 2033. Yeah, what are you going to be doing in 10 years? Think about it, <sighs> because Dubai is thinking about it. And one of the things that came up in, in the event is, you know, we're having a, a great time at the moment. The economy is booming and the danger is to become complacent and mm. not to continue to disrupt and stay ahead of the curve because the numbers are good. So just carry on doing it as you've been doing. But at this event, we were talking about AI, for example, and how we can embrace that and get ahead of, of, of the curve. And it's harder to do it when you're achieving lots of successes. Same thing at your school to keep the standards, to keep improving the standards. Yeah, we need to improve the standards. This is actually the good thing because you've got a lot of competitor. What I got to know on a recent base that it will be three more bilingual, for example, nurseries are opening. And they are franchisee of a very famous nurseries in Moscow, which run together with the Cambridge. They run together for the past 16 years. So it's nobody something new. Mm. They're actually bringing a system. It means we need to have a great competition. We need to be better. We need to always improve our quality. But at the same time, uh, there are people who arrive here and we talk about business. Like last year, they saw that the business is booming. Oh, you know, like, oh, let's open one more saloon. Oh, let's open and one more kindergarten and nursery. So what they actually did, starting from like stealing database, stealing my stuff, trying to headhunt, trying to actually attack on our successful business model, I was super surprised when, and you know, everything is coming out now, all the truth. So when we got to know who is doing, it's the parents of my actual school. So you got my, they've been studying for one year. They saw everything inside. Thanks God we didn't share with them our own curriculum, which we developed for 120 pages, but it belongs to us. But that's what they've been doing. So you have those kind of people and people who are bringing standards, who actually doing it for so many years and they want to bring something good. Because if we talk about bilingual nurseries and schooling, in Dubai. Unfortunately, we don't have them much. We have English system, we have American system, we have French system, but bilingual is totally different. We all know that we all do study Spanish, French, like my kids, uh, older kids, uh, they study Arabic, but they don't know those languages because English is a pushing language and we all speak here English. It's our international language. So when it comes to bilingual approach, it's completely different way of education. So right now, I think on the market with number of bilingual nurseries and upcoming schools, at least Finally, there will be something new on the market mm-hmm. where kids can indeed speak many languages. They can save, they can speak, and they can improve. So here I find it on a good side. Yeah. But on another side, I told you just about, I actually faced two th- no, with three of our parents. I was completely surprised. I even wrote to KHD. I said, guys, you need to do face control. You whom just got to remind yourself, Alina, that plagiarism is the sincerest form of flattery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if they're copying you, they're flattering you. Um, yeah, if they're copying me, that means I'm, I reach kind of Chanel or yeah, Dior. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. copied. Listen, how do you... Talk to me about time, if you can, because we talked about your responsibilities there. Uh, the business, the philanthropy that you do, the education, the family as well. How do you make... How do you make time and use your time effectively? Oh, time management. Uh, my husband actually is teaching me all the time, Alina, time management, and you speak a lot. You need to do something. Right now, it's kind of, uh, if you would see me at home from, like, you put the camera. So here I have a baby uh, because uh, my baby is too small, just three year, uh, three months old. And here I have a laptop. Here at the same time, I have a phone call. So I do everything in parallel. I don't, I, I really need to be multitasking, mom. Otherwise, it does She's not work. She's very good at delegating. Is that <laughs> correct, Roman? <laughs> 
<laughs> no, delegating at home, yes, I can. And thanks God to my husband. He's very helpful. Actually, older kids are very helpful with a little baby when I need to do some work. But when it comes for work and strategy and we do, uh, because I am a visionary, whatever we do for the next year, unfortunately, my team cannot uh, do without me. And what's happening, they come to my house or we have a, a nearby cafeteria uh, in our community. They come, I discuss, always teachers, always directors, always this. Can you imagine they all come to me? So it's a little bit interesting, but what can I do? This is uh, this is how I save time. Are you a so, good multitasker, Tom? I'm an awful multitasker. Yeah, me no, too. I, I, I need to focus on one thing, get very get distracted very, very quickly, uh, <laughs> and then have to come back to the other but thing. You're a man, point. guys. You are <laughs> man. Know, yeah. It's a big difference. You, have you seen this meme uh, regarding women and, and, and a man? What they have here in oh, our yes. brains like a box. So if you open the woman box, it's million and one wire. <laughs> so you just need to think about everything. And for men, one line, exactly, so directed. The, the, one is allowed to say that. We can't <laughs> we say can't that. We can't say that. We can possibly say that. The other great <laughs> example of that is apparently there's a great piece of research done that if you give a man and a woman the same shopping list and send them to the supermarket okay. um, and it says apples on the top of the list, toothpaste on the second list, oranges down the bottom or whatever, that the man will go in there and go um, okay I'll get the apples first and then I'll go and get the toothpaste which is second on thing, and then I'll come back and get the oranges later and then I'll go and get the t- <laughs> so you go on the list accordingly uh, meanwhile uh, the fairer sex will turn to the other, the other side of the equation completely and, and, and multitask throughout the whole thing as well so uh, using time management that you've just been talking about there lastly very quickly because we've just been brought well, the, the security team have just come in again yeah, which again. must have been it's the time police they're back I on think, us i think it's alina's pink diamond alina uh, last question from <laughs> us to you piece of advice you might have for uh, others out there Pe- people looking to get ahead people looking to start up with virtue zone what's your advice to people getting ahead in business well, to be honest, and I refer a lot of my friends and whoever arrived to Dubai that definitely choose the company which been on the market for many years, don't actually go all over. And that's what happened. And many people, when they came to me and they told me the stories regarding idea and what they've been doing, I was like, my goodness, where did you find them in Dubai? They actually existing. No, always go to a, a companies which you know, which you trust to actually do a startup. Uh, second thing, I would have... Um, advice to do analytics of the actual market. So not to open billion and one something, but actually to see what is the need and what you can bring something new. Like we all knew that Dubai was lacking with IT. And I truly believe that IT company can generate really a lot of money here mm. because there's something new, what was the need, and it was a great niche. So I think there are three steps uh, to f- choose a trustful company. So whoever I know, of course, I always recommend VirtuZone because I, this is, as we know, we mm. are second company there. Uh, second of all is to do analytics of the market and to to really bring something interesting to in. And um, a third, to understand the market, understand the tradition, understand who we are here, uh, to adopt and to love Dubai, because without pure love, you cannot actually do anything. You just need to love. Yeah, yeah. A better way to leave it. Uh, Alina, bless you. Thanks so much indeed for your time. Congratulations on your success today. May there be many more successes in the future. So thank you so much indeed for joining us. Alina Gilmanova is the founder of DXP Production and, of course, AIST. Huge thanks to her. This is Starting Up with Tom Urquhart and Virtue Zone. Business set up with no regrets. On Dubai Eye 103.8. 
This is starting up with Virtues. Myself and Neil Petch with you through until 2 o'clock this afternoon. Do it each and every Thursday uh, right here on Dubai 103.8. But a quick reminder, if you're unable to listen live, worry not. You can listen at your leisure. Uh, all you need to do is download the Starting Up with Virtue Zone podcast, which is available straight after the show. So just get yourself onto the Dubai Eye website, Dubai1038.com, uh, where you will find the Starting Up um, uh, button. Click on that, and then, of course, you can download the podcast to listen to at will. Now, startups always start with an idea. And to get that idea off the ground, well, there needs to be a bit of growth out there. And during the incubation and acceleration phases, a founder needs the all-important C, capital. And they need lots of it as well. The UAE has no shortage of venture capitalists who can fund your business. But have you got what it takes, apart from a solid business plan and a smart founder? Is there anything else you can do to catch the attention of a VC? Or is a VC even right for your setup? Is that a problem that a lot of your clients face? Well, listen, normally our slogan is be your own boss, Tom, but today it's show me the money <laughs> and the guys are going to tell us how to do that. And I, I think one of the first things that uh, our experts are going to tell, tell us much more than we know, but is you've got to start thinking about this right from the very start. So if you've got the wrong structure, if you've got, uh, you can't prove who, you, who your ultimate beneficial owners are or anything like that, then you're going to just end up in this huge treacle-like process. So get it right from day one. Let's hack the minds of the VCs now or just ask two very experienced gentlemen in that world. Uh, first and foremost, the head of venture capital at Adidam Investment Management, uh, Lachlan Hughes, joins us live here in studio. And Lachlan, good to see you. Great to be here, Tom. Thanks for joining us. And also joining us, Investment Director of Wamda Capital, uh, no less. It's an absolute uh, st- uh, pleasure to have joining us, uh, Daniel Doshresh. Daniel, thank you so much indeed for your time this afternoon. Great to be here. Uh, nice to have you both. Let's kick off with uh, opening statements, if we may, like we're in court and everything. <laughs> uh, Lachlan, starting with you, your investment fo- philosophy and what you typically look for in a startup. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll make my case, Your Honour. Um, so Adderton Ventures is a regional fund based here in DIFC um, and sits within Adderton Investment Management. So that's a broader asset management group that sits across debt and equity strategies. Uh, within the venture fund, uh, we're, um, uh, we're a sector specialised fund. So we focus on fintech and B2B software. Uh, and we do that at the earlier stages in region. So pre-seed through to Series A. And then we have the ability to invest uh, globally from Series A onwards. Um, um, and that's kind of a thoughtful decision to sort of say, okay, these are the sectors we want to play in. These are the verticals that we want to build expertise in. Uh, and we want to see what's going on in sort of the, the more developed venture markets and um, support local founders. That's the opening statement from Aditum. But what about the opening statement from Wanda? Yeah, so <clears throat> Wanda is a early stage VC investor based in Dubai. We're one of the, let's say, longest standing institutional VCs. Uh, we are founder-led company. The founder and chairman of uh, Wamda is Fadi Randur, the founder of Aramex. So whenever you see an Aramex truck, this is how things started. And Fadi himself was also one of the first angel investors. So we, we kind of go in the early stages, support companies, invest in the MENA, Pakistan, Turkey uh, region. We do kind of agnostic deals. That means we're not specialized on a, on a specific vertical. Uh, we are open in principle for companies that at the right stage that building an ICT company, so we invest in software-based startups, so technology is at the core, ICT is at the core. 
And this is what we're doing. And I think specifically about WAMDA, we are part of WAMDA Group. So if you go to WAMDA.com, uh, you will see that we, let's say, not just investors, but we're also kind of giving back to the entrepreneurial community with content. Uh, we had a fellowship program. We do research and reports. So WAMDA is more than just writing checks. It's all about helping entrepreneurs building ventures. Lockie, can I rewind a little? I've sat in on a ton of VC events. Everyone nods their head sagely, pretending that they know exactly what you're talking about. Sometimes you guys throw a bunch of terms (laughs) at us. So for the listeners, because most of our listeners are probably either thinking about starting a business up, very, very early stage. Just talk to seed, pre-seed, series A, series, what does it mean? Sure. Um, uh, so when you're starting up a, a, a venture capital or a high growth sort of backed business, um, uh, there's various rounds of funding that you'll go through um, along the way. Uh, the first one is often called the triple F's, so friends, families and fools. Um, that's where you go around sort of your network and say, hey, you know me, I'm a smart guy or gal, here's what I want to do. And, and that's kind of akin to angel investing, right? So the people within your network will back you um, as a founder, Uh, to build a bit of tech, build a bit of traction, pull together your sort of pitch. Um, The next round will then be seed funding. So this is sort of the first institutional round where you will go out to venture capitalists or family officers or other types of sort of formalized investors. So by this stage, you've already got your MVP. Yeah, exactly. You would want to have sort of the MVP together, a little bit of traction, sort of showing how your unit economics works. So look, this is something that people want. This is something that I can generate gross profit doing. And if I put a bit more money into this, I can accelerate it. Um, And if you can prove that, then you go through the alphabetic stages. So series A, B, C, D, I've seen E's and F's um, uh, where you take on more capital to continue to fuel that growth um, because you've got a business that's strong, has good unit economics, but you want to invest ahead of growth. Has a certain milestone got to be reached before you, for example, get to Series B as, a co- as opposed to Series A? Yeah, it's about de-risking. Like with every round, you try to de-risk elements of the business. So if you, for example premature throw money on a company and they start spending it on marketing on billboards on shakes i wrote while the product is not really working uh, then it's just burning money so you try to de-risk elements the business the business model the kind of channels where you acquire customers so you try to do the step by step and then you kind of raise more and more money one of the things you guys are really good at is spotting risk and analyzing it so you know if it's a good investment so one of the things that a lot of our customers here is oh, you're, you're really amazing but you're actually not big enough for us can you ex- explain the economics of that yeah big enough i mean it could be different ones could be one stage wise you're not yet there where it kind of is becomes relevant for me as an investor because i might not be focused at this super early stage another aspect can be that the business itself is simply also still too small or that you operate in a market that is too small because venture capital is about optimizing for the outcome and not risk minimization i mean what i want to do ultimately if i have a winner it should be kind of become of a kareem it should become an Amazon. It should be go really, really big. And that's what I want to ensure as an investor that if you are a win, uh, that you become a really, really big winner. And stage-wise, it could be that you're simply too small. If you just have $1,000 of revenue per month, that is a little bit too early maybe for us. But that's more than the kind of angels and um, 
kind of um, friends and family who would invest. So we're always taught, know your customer, understand what their requirements are. So a little bit of advice from me is to those those people looking to raise money, understand what a VC is trying to achieve themselves. What are, So Lachlan, what, what, are, you know, what editor, what do they set as objectives for you? We're going to get to that in a moment. Hold those thoughts very shortly, Lachlan. We'll be back with uh, the team in just a few moments' time. You're listening to Starting Up with Tom Urquhart and Virtue Zone. Business Centre with no regrets on Dubai Eye 103.8. Yeah, we're live here in studio. We're here with the team from Virtues and Neil Petch uh, alongside me, Tom Urquhart, and we've been joined uh, by the Brains Collection from the VC World. We've got Head of Venture Capital at Additum Investment Management. Uh, Lachlan Hughes is with us. And also with us, the Investment Director at Wamda Capital, uh, Daniel Dosrej, joining us as well. Um, gentlemen, great to have you with us. Uh, Lachlan, to you, um, you've been given a lead least five minutes now to prepare your answer to Neil's last question, uh, which was, Neil? <laughs> We're trying to get inside the head of a VC and what he's trying to achieve, because if we understand that, then as a startup person, we can make ourselves more appealing oh. to them. Neil was a good one. There we go. I've been frantically Googling what do venture capitalists want. <laughs> Chat GPT, uh, go. I think I figured it out. Um, so m- maybe a controversial answer, I'm not sure, but we are um, you know, venture capitalists are institutional investors, um, and uh, so I'd be remiss to sort of say that ultimately we want to return capital to, to our investors who in themselves are funds, right, and quite often pension funds or wealth funds. And, and so our goal is to return multiples of the capital that they invested in our funds back to them. Um, but the more interesting thing, I think, for founders is how do we do that, right? And we do that by investing in businesses and helping them grow into uh, large businesses that can sort of generate 10, 20, 30 times the capital we invested into them, right? So the goal in every fund is to have one to two uh, investments that will return the fund. And that requires founders to kind of sit down with VCs and paint a credible path to taking some investment now and generating, you know, 15 times that over a seven to 10 year time frame, and explaining, you know, how they're going to build a defendable business that will generate gross profits that, that they can stop other people kind of coming in and taking over time. And so that's what we're looking mm. to help, you know, play a small part with founders in, in building those types of businesses. Question coming in from uh, listeners out there. Keep coming, 4001. Greg's been in touch. Uh, Daniel, I'll send this one to you. Um, founding team and founder versus business idea or product, which one's more important? I would say the earlier you go, the more important is the founder. Like if you think about it at the very beginning, it's just you and your idea. So I would invest in you kind of implementing the idea. And the the later you go, if we talk about these funding rounds later when you kind of, let's say, exist for four or five years and you raise, let's say, 30 million and you have hundreds of people maybe already on the payroll, then it's way more the, the product and the business itself that matter. Because if the founder might leave, yes, it, it is essential but it's not collapsing the entire business. So at a very early stage, it's very much you invest in the people which have an idea, they pitch it to you, they sell it to you, you get convinced, you look at the business plan, you'll think about it from a competition market perspective, you give it a chance. And there it's mainly about the the person because if the person is out, then who else is building the business, right? So 
that, but that kind of, like I said, shifts over time then. With apologies to the creative geniuses out there, an idea costs nothing. Execution always costs. So the execution has is, is got to be the most important thing if you have to choose. So as the founder of Virtue Zone, you can't leave, <laughs> Co-founder. <laughs> <laughs> Always important to have the co, isn't it? I'm off. Thanks very much, Steve. Barbados Beckham. That wasn't my fault. That was the co-founder's <laughs> fault. Uh, right, let's turn to uh, the all-important pitch as well. Uh, Lachlan, red flags that you see pitch time. I mean, an obvious one that sometimes people kind of flag um, uh, is, you know, if someone's fixated on an exit. So people come in immediately and sort of say, yeah, I'm going to IPO this business in three years. Um, you know, um, it, it sometimes sends sort of the wrong signal. You, it sounds cheesy, especially after what I just said about us looking to return capital <laughs> investors. But building startups is really, really hard, right? And if you're doing it for a quick flip, um, you, you probably won't last. Along the way, you'll hit some roadblocks. It'll get, it'll, it'll get hard. Um, misalignment of incentives is, is always a bit of a red flag. So, you know, if you see a founder who's proposing to pay himself a, a, a large salary, sometimes we look at that and go, gee, that's your equity that you're spending. Do you, do you not value that? So um, that would be, that would be another about, one. What about silly practicals like turning up on time and, and, and dressing smart and things like that? They still count or not? It's always nice to be on time. I try. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm guilty from, from time to time of, of being a little late. But yeah, I think, you know, um, and Daniel and I were discussing this before, but, um, you know, just being being prepared, um, which involves mm. being on time, but also sort of thinking through what the pitch means for that particular VC, having having looked at what stage do they invest in, what sectors do they look at, um, and sort of tailoring the pitch a little bit to, to who your audience is, is, is another element of being prepared. Mm. One lesson I would say is, is when you prepare a presentation, I see a lot of founders, their presentations are all designed to target you guys, not talking about how they're going to target the customer, how they're going to work with partners, whereas actually you probably want to see what they're doing to get more business, which is not necessarily the bit about you know, pounds, shillings and pence for you. Yeah, or how they're validating that the demand exists, right? So if you're investing pre-product, it's quite tough. Um, and, and that's why you know, our fund steers away from consumer stuff for the most part because consumers are irrational and very, very hard to predict, right? Um, once you've got a product in market, then the numbers can speak to themselves for, for, for a certain amount, right? Um, so pre-product pitches are, are different. You've got to find ways to convey to the investor, this is a real problem, people will pay for this, um, and I'm, I'm the best person to sort of solve for that. Hmm. Uh, more questions coming through dan you can have this one uh mentorship and guidance obviously a couple of the uh, key words uh, for a lot of startups out there how involved should you should they be in the sort of process as well yeah maybe in general like um, when we talk about investments investors have information rights so the founder is obliged to provide kind of updates about the company on a monthly on a quarterly basis the business plan that he has kind of for this year. So this is, for example, one thing. Then you might have involvement on a board level. Um, so an investor might sit on a board level, might take a voting seat. Um, and then obviously, I mean, our kind of doors or emails or phones are always open for a founder to reach out and say, look, I need help. And that could be from how do I, let's say, hire this person? I cannot find a profile. Um, up to, okay, I need to raise the next round of funding. Can you help me to structure it and give me advice? How do I prepare the pitch deck? Um, and all these kind of things is where a kind of venture capitalist, an investor can add value by helping the startup. So it's not just kind of writing the check and say, off you go. 
It's about helping the entrepreneur in his journey. So I'm the next Kareem, guys, and I'm looking for some funding to get to the next stage. What should I be looking for in a VC? I think a very good question. I think, first of all, there should be a fit in terms of stage. So like what we discussed earlier, if you're just at the ideation stage, it might not be kind of, uh, let's say, Aditum or Wamda might not be the right investor for that stage. Uh, then you can also check out, do they invest in such kinds of business? Is it a specialist maybe who's only investing in fintech startups? So doing your homework, figuring out, is this the right investor? And, and learning more about the investor. For example, have they invested in, a, in my direct competitor? The likelihood that this investor write a next check in a direct competitor is probably very low. There's a conflict of interest. So do your homework. Um, be prepared. Also, maybe an insight. It's very surprising still to me that when we receive pitch decks, that very often still a team slide is missing. So you don't know who this person is <laughs> who wants to build that company. Um, and, and these kind of basics, like Lachlan said, being prepared, do your homework. And then kind of when you, when you show up to a VC, um, yeah, kind of be able to tell a story. You uh, want to convince someone to write a check to support you. And you need a new name because Kareem with a K is not going to work, right? <laughs> Thanks, It's Tom. not going to work. I just, <laughs> just, just for advice from a friend. That's all I can give at the moment. I also hear that founders are very often just talking about the future and you guys are analyzing the numbers. So how important is the EBITDA side and how important is the Blue Sky side? We're venture capitalists. You'll have to tell us what EBITDA stands for. Um, <laughs> we don't see it that often. Um, but look, we, we build models that still go you know, five years out to the future, and we are looking at what is the path to cash flow break even for this business, um, even if along the way we choose to reinvest and, and, and double down. So um, you know, we're, I think, looking at things on the same timescale that founders are, right? And we appreciate that everything takes a little longer and a little harder than you sort of thought it would be. Um, but we do want to see you know, a common thing that we'll sort of ask folks is, um, great, get it. Here's where you're going to be in five years' time. How long is this funding round going to last you? And what are the absolute must-have metrics heading into the next funding round? And, and we tell founders, these are metrics you set yourself. So we're going we're gonna to judge you on that when you, you know, sort of come looking for the next round and say we'd like you to participate. We'll go, okay, how did you go against these and why, right? Mm -hmm. um, those are the kind of you know, um, goalposts that you're moving between. Uh, Daniel, final thoughts from you? What was the question? <laughs> uh, no, maybe, you know what I maybe like? I like, I like how Lachlan said, show me the money, but sounded caring once like he that. said it. Yeah, mm. no, it's quite right yeah. too. I think one, one important advice is uh, get started. Just mm. do it. Um, don't wait till someone writes a check. You want to provide proof that you can do it, and that is by best showing action and, and having evidence that this can work. Mm. So I think that's always an advice. Don't wait for someone writing a check. That probably might not happen, but if you – get started and show some progress, there might be investors coming like and say, like, that. I want to invest. Hashtag be your own boss. Hashtag get started. There we go. Thanks so much indeed. A huge thanks must go to uh, our two special guests, Investment Director at Wamda Capital, Daniel Doshresh. Thank you so much indeed for joining us. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks also to uh, Lachlan Hughes, Head of Venture Capital at Additum uh, Investment Management. Uh, uh, Lachlan, thank you very much indeed to you. Thanks, Tom. It's been a pleasure. Great to see you. Thanks, guys. This is Starting Up with Tom Urquhart and Virtue Zone. Business set up with no regrets. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Yeah, each and every Thursday, one through till 
too. Uh, myself and Neil uh, addressing some of the big issues that startups might be facing. Now, three letters for you. MVP. Yeah, I know that Neil's our most valuable player. That goes without saying. He's, boom, the, boom. he's the chairman. He's the boss. You know, that's what it's all about. But no, we're talking about minimum viable product, a version of a product with just enough features to be usable by early customers who can then provide feedback for future product development. Worry not, we will explain. For example, Airbnb MVP, simple website offering short-term living quarters and a brekkie for those who were unable to book a hotel in the saturated San Francisco market. Look at it now. Each of these MVPs help the founders validate their assumptions and refine their products based on real-world feedback. Well, for more feedback on this and a probably a better explanation, we're joined by the Associate Professor in Business with a focus on entrepreneurship at the Strathclyde Business School. Caroline Whitfield joining us live in studio. Caroline, thanks for joining us. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me here. Caroline also runs incubators for startups, is currently the entrepreneur in residence at a missions-driven incubator uh, for six months here in the region as well. So great to have you with us. Right, let's get through the benefits of the MVP if you can. I butchered the, uh, the, the introduction there in terms of <laughs> trying to explain job. it. You did a great job, don't worry. Risk mitigation when it comes to MVP. Talk well, to us more about that. Well, put it in context. People start business and think it has to be big and grand and all singing and dancing. And the idea of the MVP is you just strip it absolutely back to the essentials. And you just take one small thing, you test it in the marketplace, and that means you're not spending as much money, but importantly, you're getting there faster. And I'm very much on the side of the entrepreneurs. So listening to what we were saying about the VCs, the other real benefit is that you go further before you need to actually get investment. So you're making more of the money that you've got, which is another way to reduce your overall risk. And out of that, you should have a much greater sense of learning of what's really hitting the market. And frankly, if you're not getting much, you should stop it and do something else. Mm. So that's the other aspect of looking at it. Customer feedback, where does that sort of fit into the MVP play? Well, let's give you an example. So I know someone last week, they had an idea, and instead of sitting and cogitating and chatting to everybody, they, and say, maybe we'll do some market research. Within 24 hours, they got a splash website up using Unbounce as an example. I'm not promoting any product, but the world of no code is changing all of this. And a type form, and they were able to send a little bit of traffic to that, And within 24 hours, they had a really good view of whether this was viable or not. 24 hours, that's sort of revolutionary about what you can do and then could quickly build it out. So instead of having, again, having to spend money, you use what you've got, you send a bit of traffic, possibly through social media, possibly through other sort of standard links. And then you use that customer feedback to say, did you like it? Mm. What did you like about it? Would you pay? And instead of it being abstract, you've got real evidence. Have people signed up? Have they said they buy it? Now, some of your listeners may say, well, that's fake. Well, what you can do is if you're not sure you can deliver it is just respond to those and say, you know what? We're in the middle of making this. We'll give you a great discount when it's ready. But you've got your feedback, your lower risk, and you've actually based it on real world activity rather than abstract questions. Mm. It's extraordinary pace, isn't it? The pace of change. It is. Caroline, what I really like about this, we, you know, most of the listeners to this show are probably, you know, six months into their new business or thinking about launching it. And they hear a whole bunch of theory. They, oh, you should have a CSR program. Mental health's very important. And, and all this stuff that's very easy to say in theory, much harder to put in practice. Now, you're an associate professor. 
the examples that you just gave us, I loved the sort of real-life version of it. So how do you merge the two, real life and getting the theory right? Well, I think it's about timing and clarity. So, for example, we run a, a boot camp for startup ideas, which goes through a set of tools, which means in a day you can clarify exactly what you're trying to do. So right at the beginning, you're clear, is your business model settled? Who are you targeting? What resources do I need? But again, really strip back. I'd say six months in, you can start thinking about a CSR program, if you are. But you also have to say, who's paying for this? And at what stage? You don't have the resources to do it. And it'd be wonderful to do, but only if you've got a viable business. And, and, I, and I mean what I say, it, it depends on what you're doing. But if you're looking at anything digital, there's an awful lot that you could do to get going in the first three to six months relatively cheaply. And then you can scale up to other things. Um, but unless you've got the proposition right, which is what an MVP will do, you're not going to get anywhere. And finally, iterative, iterative development as well. Yeah. Explain the process of that as well when it comes to MVP. So it's a fancy phrase, which means you go you out, even you say test. It. <laughs> <laughs> Is that fancy? Well, it's, but it's effective. Like you go do something, you see the feedback. Well, what do you do with that? You change. Hmm. You do something. So people, if you've got uh, development, may be used to things like they call AB. You test one thing, you test the other, you see which one is viable, you amend it and go forward. But the idea is you're working with the market. Effectively, you're co-developing what you've got with your customer base. So if you did what I suggested, you stick something up a splash page, you got some feedback, it may well be some bit they like, some bit they didn't. So then you change it. But I want to stress again, speed. So you could do this idea of test and respond four or five times, but within a month, you'll have a greatly refined proposition with a potential customer base, and off you go. Very different to the old model where you have an idea, you go get funding, you put it in the market, and you cross your fingers. We don't do that. You run incubators uh, for MVP. Do you run incubators here? Um, I'm looking at some programs to get some going up here, yes, but I have been involved. I've run a fintech uh, incubator, and I'm involved in one in London at the moment, uh, which is mission-driven around fintech as well. Loads, but we do other things. Loads of messages coming in about this as well. Again, we're out of time, uh, and the second security is uh, is in the studio, which is bad news. Um, <laughs> uh, but if people want to find out more about potential incubators, but more about this subject, how do they get in touch with you? They could look at the social media for Strathclyde Business School here in Dubai, and uh, I guess come through contact through your good selves, and we'll happily talk to people about what we're up to. Caroline Conn, thank you enough for joining us. Caroline, Whitfield is Associate Professor in Business, Focus on Entrepreneurship at the Strathclyde Business School. Uh, so big thanks to Caroline for joining us. And a big thanks to you, sir, as well, Mr. Neil Patch. Don't thank me. I'm learning as it's I listen. It's a packed show, isn't it? It's a pretty Don't good get time. There used to be days where we just got gossiped for 30 minutes, but now it's just go, go, go. Uh, but a big thank you, Caroline, for joining us. To all Thanks of our guests day. as well. And, of course, a huge thanks to Virtue Zone. They are online as we speak. Uh, get yourself onto the website. Or they will answer any questions you might have. We're going to do it all again next week, if you're right with that. See you there, Tom. Uh, next Thursday, one through till two. In the meantime, download the podcast. It is available online. Bye-bye.